I just want to say a word before I begin that for the ladies that are here without their husbands, I have a makeup assignment for your husbands who may be out in the deer stand. And uh, that is, I would like them to listen to this message sometime this next week. So, you don't have to nudge them or tell them. You can tell them their pastor told you to tell them that he wanted them to listen to the message. <clears throat> we are in a series. I'm going to be concluding this series this morning. We could go a long time on this as we get into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. I'm going to bring it to a conclusion this morning. We're talking about our culture. We're talking about being Christians in a culture. Culture is simply the patterns and habits and practices of uh, any group of people. And there's all different kinds of cultures. Every group of people has a culture. Some things in the culture may be very good. Some things may be very bad. It depends on how they line up with God's design for how he made us to function as people. A major piece of our vision at Bethany is to be relevant in our community and to be relevant to the people of our community. We need to understand this whole area of relevance because there's a fine line between being relevant and, and then finding yourself being compromised by a culture. We looked at two of those powerful forces at work in our culture. We looked at money and we're looking at sexuality. It's interesting that if you talk to counselors who have people come in for issues in a marriage, for example, they will tell you that about 50% of the people who come in, money is probably the predominant issue in the marriage. And, or they'll tell you the other half it has to do with issues of sexuality. So when we cover money and sexuality in the culture, we cover a couple of pretty big areas. We looked at money. We looked at all of the pressure that we feel to get stuff. You know, if you, get net, if you get some money that you didn't plan on, you know, there's plenty of people telling you what you need to get to make your life better. And so we looked at our, our culture, and there's, I don't need to convince anyone that we have seen a lot of greed, which has hurt a lot of people. We have a lot of coveting. The Bible calls it idolatry. The Lord said you can't serve both God and money. And so, in contrast to that, you know, what can I make and what can I get? We talked about the contrast in the Christian culture and what should be characteristic of the Christian culture is that we are people who are developing a heart of generosity. So we love to get extra money. We love to make money because we like to be generous. And certainly there's a line there, as we see in 2 Timothy, God blesses us with all things to enjoy. And then in the next breath, and admonishes us, admonishes us to be generous and willing to share. And so as Christian people, we, have, we are coming to learn that lesson. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that's just not just a quaint little saying. That is really true. The things that you give will be much more satisfying in the depth of your soul than the things that you get. Last week we looked at sexuality in our culture talked about the fact that there is a tremendous amount of sexual energy which needs to be harnessed. We looked at the example of a dam which is holding back water. 
And we saw how when you drill a hole in the dam as the water rushes through, it keeps getting wider and wider, and pretty soon the dam is compromised, and pretty soon everything breaks loose, and the destruction is incredible. We have, I have read several accounts of men who have studied the culture, and we see that this lapse in sexual morality, this unharnessing of the sexual energy in a culture, is one of three or four key primary indicators in the beginning of the end for those cultures. And men have gone back and, and looked at the different characteristics of great nations who have fallen. So this morning in this final message, I, I want to try and perhaps it feels like I, I need to somehow try and rescue sexuality in our culture because as the scripture says in Romans 1, God will, when, when people deny God is God, he will give them over and let them design their own design for sexuality. Romans 1, you, you can read about that. And uh, so we see that has happened in our day. I, I imagine this analogy. Just imagine that your wife has a beautiful crystal punch bowl passed down from three generations, from great-grandmother to grandma. And this beautiful crystal bowl is taken out and used for, for very special purposes. Christmas and Thanksgiving and special birthdays and anniversaries. And so she comes home one day, drives in the driveway, and just imagine you as her husband, she comes up and you're using the punch bowl to drain the oil out of the car. That's the picture of what I sense when God looks down and what we have done with sexuality. And so, let's go back and see if we can't get a little understanding of God's design here because it's pretty amazing. I think it's very amazing. <clears throat> uh, to do that, we go right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read verse... I'm going to read verse here 24 and 25 in Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And some different words there that are used. The NIV says, be united to his wife. The ESV says, hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Which Paul writes later is a real, it's just a mystery. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Well, before the beginning of the world, before anything was ever created, God had a plan. And, you know, just stop and think with me for a minute. If, if, if you were going to create a world, certainly, you know, you, you, would, you would have a reason for everything that you did. I mean, we know that you know God is not like like the mad scientist who's in the who's in the chemistry lab and actually spills something and goes oh wow I didn't realize you know it, God doesn't God didn't create things by accident it was thought through and he had a specific purpose and I'd like to tell you what that purpose is because it will help us understand much of what God did around us. And here is the ultimate purpose for the creation, why you're sitting here, 
why we live in this world, why we're part of the history of this world, is because God's plan was to display His glory and His character. I mean, I mean, just stop and think with me. Why, why did God create the world? Why did God create the world? I don't think He was lonely. He enjoys the fellowship with us as His people as He's designed that, but God was not lonely for all of these, for all of eternity until we came along. I don't think God just did it just for the fun of it because He was bored. He had a specific purpose for creating you and I and this world in which we live. And the Bible tells us that He is... He displayed the things He does, God does, to manifest His glory, to show us how great He is, and to show us His character. And so, He creates people. God's creating the world. You know, He creates the, you know, the moon and the sun and, and all these trillions of stars, ones that we can't even see. And then it comes to man. And He's going to create this, these things called people. And so, as, as, we look at the, as we look at the text, it says that He created us in His image and He made us living souls, which was unique from everything else uh, in creation. He created us now with a, with a capacity, with a capacity to live forever. It was C.S. Lewis that said, argued the point that we, we shouldn't say, you know, people say, well, I have a soul. No, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You are a living soul. And that soul was created in the image of God in one sense, not that we have existed from before, but we as a living soul now exist out into eternity. And so this is an amazing thing that God has created us in His image. He also gave us bodies to house our soul. And he, design, he could have designed them any way He wanted. He could have given us... You could have had four eyes. You could have two in the front of your head, two in the back of your head, right? You could have had one big ear, right? Straight down the middle. And two mouths, so we could say twice as much and have two conversations at the same time. He could have done that. He could have given you two heads, three legs. He could have given you seven toes. All of this was up for grabs. He could have made us all males. He could have made us all females. He could have made us all gender neutral. He could have had men giving birth to babies. Heaven forbid. Imagine that. But he could have done it that way if he had wanted to. He could have brought about babies through kissing or eating chocolate. He could have designed the body to respond, you know, in, in any way that he wanted to bring those things about. And so in the beginning, God had all these options, but he designed things in a specific way. Now remember, he's seeking to display his glory and his character. And so he creates 
not just a few, but trillions of stars. Trillions and trillions of stars. Knowing that one day we would probably develop microscopes so we could see those that we couldn't see with the naked eye. And he, he does this to, to, to show us how expansive he is. You look in the sky and something just goes, wow, God is really big. That is by design. God wanted us to know how big he was when he created the, the sky. The mighty oceans. I mean, those huge breakers and waves and how massive that is. And, and the you know, mountains, not just one, 2,000 feet, but 12, 15,000 feet tall, just to demonstrate how mighty and powerful he is. And butterflies and flowers to show how creative and delicate and all of the fish of the sea and all of this stuff is demonstrating who he is. His character and, and His glory. The Bible tells us that before the foundations of the world, before creation, that God had this plan to demonstrate also not only how big He was or how powerful He was or how creative He was, but also to demonstrate how loving He was and His justice as well. And so he comes to mankind and he creates them male and female. Male and female. Interesting. Why did he create them male and female? He did it for a purpose. He did it for a purpose. To live in this world, as it says, it's not good for the man to be alone. We see he designed this thing called marriage, that a male and female would commit to a covenant relationship of love for a lifetime. We see in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and I like best the word, the ASV says, hold fast to his wife. The picture there is being permanently bonded, uh, welded together, uh, bonded with, with glue that is inseparable. That's the, the meaning there of the word. That these two people would come and be permanently united or held together. That was a design in this thing called marriage. And together they would become one flesh. They would become one in spirit and one in soul. And as we see here, one in body. That little term, the two shall become one flesh, is referring there to the sexual union of this, father, of this man and this woman who would come together. It was a very, very powerful thing. All kinds of implications to this one flesh relationship. And this would happen as it was intended. It was supposed to be happening as it were, before sin came with, with no shame whatsoever. This was his design. And so we see that sex is very sacred. Extremely sacred. So why did God create the marriage and the sexual union? Why did he do this? Well, we see here that the sexual act is for procreation. And God designed it's the, the, act, the act of sexual union in the marriage because that is, that is the way in which children would be born. And it was in this lifetime commitment, 
with a male and a female that God designed children to be born. And so we see procreation. We see there's an, an amazing bonding. It's almost a mystery of a man and a woman coming together and there is a, a bonding that takes place in the sexual relationship between the two. We also see from the book of, of Song of Songs and from the New Testament that God also designed it to be something of pleasure between the husband and wife. And he designed the male and the female in such a way. But there's also something bigger. There's something that makes this even more sacred. This two becoming one flesh. I'd like to read these verses from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to just read verses 31 and 32. And he's quoting here, he goes all the way back to Genesis, what we just read, and he says, Therefore a man shall leave his mother, his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now the first time you read that, you're kind of going, wow, I thought he was talking about marriage here. Paul says, no, I'm talking about this, this, there's, a, there's a connection here between the marriage and Christ and His church. So, why did God create marriage and this sexual union to becoming one flesh? He did it so that through a, a lifetime commitment of two people and the intimacy that takes place in the sexual relationship, that we would be, in, be able to better understand the relationship of Christ to His church. The relationship that Jesus Christ desires with you. In other words, it's not that Christ in the church is kind of a metaphor of marriage. It's that marriage is a metaphor of Christ in the church. In other words, your marriage and the intimacy that God designed in that relationship was designed to help us begin to understand the kind of relationship the, the kind of spiritual union that Christ is desiring with us and the kind of union that we will experience. This is a powerful, powerful truth. You know, our earthly marriages won't last. The sexual union will not last. There will be no giving and taking of marriage in the life to come. But our, our, our marriage and our oneness and our intimacy with Christ will go on forever. I mean, that's what we're looking ahead to, is the marriage of the groom to the bride, which is the church. You need to understand there are no singles in heaven. There are no singles in heaven. Singles, singleness is a very temporary experience. We should all be looking to, together, married or single, to that Union, that marriage to Christ. This is how God looks at our relationship with Him. And as you, as you go, go back into the Old Testament, I'll just read one passage, Ezekiel 16, 6-8. The Lord is looking at Israel. He says, and when I, He's talking about how He rescued them from the time they were young. And He says, And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood live. 
and I made you flourish like a plant of the field and grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment and your breasts were formed and your hair had grown and yet you were naked and bare and when I passed by you again and saw you. Behold, you were at the age for love and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness and I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. That is a specific sexual image. It's an analogy of the spiritual passion and the spiritual union in which God desires to enter into with each one of us. And marriage should help us understand that desire of God in each of our lives. I'm going to put two things up here that I believe are equally as sacred to God. You might be a little surprised. Communion and sexual intimacy. Communion and sexual intimacy. I believe they are both just as sacred to God. Communion is a sign of God's covenant relationship toward the church. It's that thing that we do every month. We practice this to remind us of the covenant relationship and the love that God has expressed towards us and the commitment to the shedding of His blood for us. It is the sign of the covenant. Sexuality in marriage is a sign of two people's covenant commitment in the marriage. And as the couple reenacts that commitment, they again remind one another of the lifelong commitment and the sacrifice and devotion that they have to one another. To take sexuality out of this context is to take it out of its sacredness and to make it unholy. It was not designed to be taken outside of this marriage relationship. And when we do, we begin, we start to destroy its meaning in the marriage relationship. We were not designed to bond in sexual relationship with 10, 15, 20 different people. That was not God's design for this. And those of you who have been through divorce know after going through that, probably better than anyone, you, you know this is not good, God's design. This is not how God intended it to be. And unfortunately because of just the sinful world in which we live and in us and others and it happens. And we experience the pain of that whole ordeal that takes place in our culture. Here's the point. When God planned the world and how everything should work, He planned this sexual act to be a very sacred part of it. Something repeated in marriage with the capability of, of procreating children, of creating this intense bond between two people, and reminding, and reminding the couple, not only of their love for one another, but also reminding us, you know, God put that in this world to help us to understand the kind of love and desire that God has for us. As a foreshadowing of the ultimate marriage. Revelation 19.9, we look forward to the marriage feast that we will all enjoy. So this is why sexuality is so sacred. 
Our culture has in many ways been given over to its own lusts. This area has potential to be a primary factor in the downfall of our country. And uh, God is calling us to repentance in this area. This morning, as kind of bring this to conclude, I'm going to show you a clip here as we, the end of our service. But you may need to repent of something in this area in your life. Maybe you're involved in sexuality outside of marriage. You need to bring sexuality back to the place that God designed it. Uh, maybe you bought into the teaching of the culture. TV is the primary educator of our youth today when it comes to sexuality. That's why I'm talking about here. Because unless mom and dad or the church, we know what the culture is teaching regarding sexuality. Uh, maybe you're exposing yourselves to images which are destructive, which objectify women or men. Uh, not just porn, but even on TV. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. Maybe you're in a marriage and you failed to see the importance of the sexual uh, relationship between a husband and wife. Maybe you've been abused and in this area. you never talked to someone. You've never been healed in this area of your life. Maybe you've been an abuser and you, you've never owned up to that <coughs> and tried to make that right. You know, there's, there's so many areas in which we can pervert this gift that God has given. But this morning, let me tell you the first step. Once you are willing to be honest before God that you have a problem or that you've sinned, you need to know this, that no matter what you've done, God has promised to enter into this covenant relationship with us. Not to condemn you, but to forgive you. Uh, to pour his love out upon you. Not when you get things straightened out. Not when you get it all straightened out. He is desiring to pour his love out upon you now. And we have you know, books in the Bible that talk about how we went off like the prostitute. We went after other lovers and God has come pursuing us. That's the kind of covenant love that God designed to demonstrate before the foundations of the world because He knew about the sin of humanity. And He knew the kind of love that He would have to pursue us with. And it is a powerful, powerful thing. We're going to end here with a clip. It's about eight minutes long. And then we'll be done. Uh, I'd like you to hear the story of Nate. Nate, Nate was a pastor. And... Uh, he has a powerful testimony. Yeah. 
there are so many times screaming
invite you to pray with me this morning. Father, one of the questions at the end of our outline the bulletin is, what are you saying to me today? Lord, that's just a really important question for all of us. We're all so different. We've all come from different places. We've all pursued other gods besides you. You know us right now as we sit here, where our lives are, where they sit, who's first. And Lord, maybe you're second, or maybe you're third or fourth. But Lord, you are first, and you desire us to realize that. Lord, I, I pray for whatever the, whatever the barrier, whatever the bondage, whatever it is that might be keeping people here from just putting you first and experiencing the joy and beauty of your design. Lord, might we, all of us, be open to just taking seriously your voice. Lord, as we leave here today, might we not forget what you have spoken to us. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your presence with us today. And uh, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.